So what we're going to do is we're going to call Zach up and ask him to present. Uh, let me remind you of this quickly. You are not in a church service. You are in a really huge youth group. And everybody has a slight pituitary disorder from what it looks like to Zach, okay? We're just a little older than the crowd he's used to handling. But I, but I encourage you to do this. Be, be discerning about your kids sitting under this teaching. Sound good? Okay. Give him a hand because I'm sure he's nervous. Good morning. Yeah, truth is I'm almost always nervous, so um, it's all good. Um, and this is definitely a, a different type of setting than, than I'm used to as students. Um, so I will try to make this as close to what I would do as, as possible. I'm used to being, obviously, in a smaller area, um, and uh, I, I do try to invest a lot of time in getting to know the students, which I, I've gotten to know some of you a little bit, which is great. Um, what I'm going to do this morning is try to pick up actually in the middle of a series um, that, that I've taught before, um, and I guess we'll just go from there. So um, I'll, I'll kind of bring you up to, to speed. Um, I was going to say last Sunday, but uh, Jeremy just mentioned this now, uh, how he talked about how people who are saved can still live in unbelief. Um, We've, pretend with me now, uh, we've been going through uh, the story of the Israelites as they have been in bondage uh, in Egypt. They've been enslaved, and um, we've, we've read about how God sent the plagues and rescued his people, brought them into the wilderness uh, to the promised land. Um, and as we've done that, we've compared, um, we've compared the, their time in Egypt uh, to what it is like to be uh, an unsaved person. And um, th- uh, thank you for working on this back here. Some of my slides didn't quite transfer over as um, well, reformatting stuff, so they might look funny, but um, I think we'll still get the picture. So this circle is going to represent uh, a human life. When we are born, we are born into sin. Um, so sin is very much a part of us there. And we have our, our mind, our will, and our emotions, the, thing, the things that make us us. And that sin is a part of us, and it affects our mind, our will, and our emotions, um, bending us towards, towards evil and disobedience to God all the time. Um, and that's what, that's what life was like for Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, life was absolutely miserable, and there was not, there was not hope. Um, then, uh, then God heard the cries of the people, and he called Moses to rescue them, well, to help rescue them, be his hand there, uh, his voice and hand to Pharaoh. And uh, there were the plagues, then Pharaoh let them go, and they were able to escape into the wilderness. Um, so I think on the next slide, it will show a little bit of a difference. And that T is supposed to represent a cross. That's one thing that got changed up here. So... Um, Different, different fonts don't always uh, show up in the same, or different programs. So, uh, use your imagination. Uh, anyway, so, 
that is still, the circle still represents our person, um, but at this point, um, we have been rescued by what Jesus did on the cross, not the T. And um, sin has been kicked out, so when God looks at us, he no longer sees that sin nature. He sees Christ living in us, dwelling in us. Um, however, as we read the story about the Israelites in the wilderness, uh, you'll, you'll notice that um, even though they saw many uh, just miraculous things um, that they still struggled to trust God and they kind of closed off their, their being from being influenced, uh, from, from being obedient to God. So that's what that line is there for. Oh, it's, it's a wall. Uh, the gap is not supposed to be there. It's just, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but the good news is the story did not end there. The, the Israelites got to the promised land, just like God had said, and um, that's what we, uh, the promised land is called Canaan. And um, sorry, sometimes I have to stick with my notes when I get nervous. That'll help me out. All right. So anyway, we, uh, once they got to the, the promised land, they, they were at the place where God had, I'm being redundant, Okay, they got to the promised land, but in order to get in there, they actually had to be obedient to God. They had to follow him. They had to trust him. And that was something they had a hard time doing all along the way. Um, we'll talk about that part a little bit later. But uh, in, the last, um, in the last state in Canaan, the next slide, um, we still have our mind, our will, and our emotions, but now there's a little door where when we, when we allow God to actually influence, when we trust him um, for everyday things, then there's, that door is open. Um, I learned about this when I worked at a Bible camp back in the day, and uh, we, we refer to something as flap, flap moments. So ideally, the door stays open. We let, we let Christ, through, his, through the Holy Spirit, uh, in, influence us to affect our mind, our will, and our emotions. Um, but there are times, uh, unfortunately I had several of these yesterday, where uh, due to circumstances around us uh, or whatever, uh, due to sin, um, that flap goes shut. So we call those flap, flap moments when we want to hold on to our, to our fleshly nature, our sin nature, instead of letting God uh, influence us. So kind of keep that in mind as we go through the lesson today. The, the time in the wilderness for the Israelites was filled with flap, flap moments. After they reached the promised land, they sent out 12 spies to check it out, uh, to see what they had to do to take it over. When they came back, you guys remember how many spies thought they could do it? Just two. The other ten were like, no way. Their, their cities are too fortified. The people are too big. We cannot do it. It's, it's like they suddenly forgot what God had been doing up until this point. So the flap on, on those guys was closed, and they convinced the, the majority of the Israelites that you know, they, were, they were doomed. There's no way they could get in there. So... As a result, they got to spend 40 more years in the wilderness. That sounds exciting, um, but it wasn't. So, due to their unbelief, their lack of trust in God, 40 more years in the wilderness where God continued to take care of them. Um, and we're going to pick up where they're about to actually go back into the promised land. The 40 years are over. It's time for a change. So, uh, if you would open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and I think 
Yes, that'll show up on the screen. I love to hear the rustling of pages. So this is what God commanded. He said, or so it came about when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest, that the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So, they're finally crossing over. Question is, does this event remind you of any other event that occurred on Israel's journey from Egypt? I hope so. And what was that? Crossing of the Red Sea. Yes. Um, I want us to read that story again. So um, you can, as long as you know where Joshua is, you can keep your finger there. Uh, Turn back to Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 22. We'll read about that crossing again because it's been a while. And I foolishly just took my finger out of Joshua, but that's okay, I can find it again. All right, 10 through 22. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand, and on their left. 
All right, so these are very similar. Um, the, the people, when they're about to cross the Red Sea, they, they were afraid. Pharaoh was coming. They, they thought their lives were going to be over. Um, they, they seemed again to forget what God had been doing up to this point, the promises he made. Now, why do you think that those who had seen all the plagues, every, everything else that God had done, I mean, they've still got the pillar of cloud there. You've still got, uh, well, during the day and the pillar of fire at night. They still see all this stuff. Why do you think that they were still afraid of Pharaoh? Yeah. I think there's, yeah, even in the midst of seeing such great things, unbelief. Sometimes it's really easy to see what's right in front of us and forget the God who's been with us uh, and, and what he's done. It can get overwhelming at times. So um, it's kind of like with, with us. We believe, I assume most of us in here anyway, you know, we, we believe in Jesus, that he's delivered us from, from death to life. It's a done deal. But we often doubt God's ability to deliver us from lesser things. Um, it, it can be very overwhelming. We get distracted. Uh, I don't think I mentioned that in this lesson, but um, if, if you look at what happened to the Israelites as they're, they're crossing the wilderness, um, they, when, when people attacked, they tend to attack those who are straggling behind the weaker um, you know, they don't usually attack the strong front. Sin works the same way. It's when we are worn down, when we're weak, that it will attack us and distract us, um, when we're more likely to, uh, to then act out in unbelief. Anyway, despite the Israelites' fear and lack of faith, God parted the Red Sea and the people crossed over. So, even though their flap was closed at that point in time, acting in unbelief, God still acted and they were able to cross over. Now, the actual crossings themselves, there's a little bit of a difference between the crossing of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Does anyone know what that might be and what the Israelites were supposed to do? Yes, they had to step into the Jordan. So the Red Sea, it was parted first, there was dry ground, then they got to walk across. The Jordan River, God's requiring some faith here. The priests had to step out into a flooded a flood-level river carrying the ark first, and then the ground dried up. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we've seen what floodwaters can do recently. And uh, I think I read, what, six inches of fast-moving water is enough to knock a person over, to take them down? So God's requiring them to act in faith. Trust me, he says. So at this point, when they're crossing the Jordan River, the flap remained open. They're acting in trust. It took faith, trust in God, to set foot into those floodwaters. Um, we're going to read about what happens next in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This part to me is a rough part. All right. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. 
So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. If I'm mispronouncing these things, well, you can correct me later. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. Now it came about when they had finished circumcising all the nation that they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. All right. Um, now, I better get back to here. This is the part that concerns me, because I, I, don't, I don't know how well you guys are, are familiar with um, some, some Old Testament happenings, but there, there's another uh, incident in, uh, in Israel's past where uh, a bunch of people were circumcised and it did not uh, end well for them. Israel has just crossed into enemy territory. They crossed the flooded Jordan. The waters are flowing back, so now they're kind of you know, trapped in enemy territory. And the very first thing God has them do is to, to circumcise all the males. Um, a while back, in Israel's past, um, one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah, was raped while going out to see other women who were living nearby. The man who raped her came to her family, and he requested her hand in marriage. He wanted to marry her. Um, two of her brothers said that they agreed only if all the males in that city would become or would get circumcised. They said that's the only way that this will work. So uh, they agreed to do that. And... Um, We'll, we'll read about what happened shortly there afterwards in Genesis chapter 34, verses 25 through 29. So this is uh, starting out uh, referring to all the men in the city who just got circumcised. Now it came about on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took a sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. And they killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. And then Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks, their herds, and their donkeys, and that which was in the city, and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Those are some conniving brothers. Um, you know, it sounds like the men were so sorry they couldn't really even defend themselves. Uh, they, were, they were pretty helpless. Two brothers went and took out 
all the men in that town. And yet, I mean, the Israelites would have known this story. They cross the Jordan. They're in enemy territory. And that's the very first thing God has them do is circumcise themselves. Again, in order to do something like that, it takes, it takes a trust in God. They're going to be helpless for a while. So, again, the flap stayed open. They're doing much, much better at this time. Um, story's not over yet. We're going to uh, read Joshua 5, uh, starting in verse 13, and go to 6-5. There's all sorts of exciting things that happen during this time. So a short while later, this is what happens. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. All right, so Joshua meets the commander of the Lord's army. Do we know who this was? Jesus. It's interesting because it seems like every time that uh, people in, encounter angels, um, you know, they act in fear or they bow down and worship them, and the angels will usually say, don't. Um, that does not happen here. So, yes, this is uh, a pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, and then he gives him directions. Jericho, which is well protected, um, it was built on a hill surrounded by two walls, from what I've read, the outer wall was six feet thick, and the inner one was 12 feet thick. Nearly impenetrable. Um, so what was God's plan for conquering Jericho? They're walking around. They're not bringing out the battering rams. I don't know if any of you guys have seen, you know, like Lord of the Rings and stuff when uh, all these battles go off. Like that's what I would imagine would be like the ideal battle plan. But no, they're going to, you know, walk around the city once for six days. And the seventh day, seven times, and then shout. Well, and some horns, too. Okay. Um, so what, what do you think the people of Israel thought as they actually began to do this? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, too. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is one of those questions you can't get wrong because it's a what-do-you-think question. <laughs> Mockery, yeah. I think personally, I'd be wondering, like, okay, as we're walking around, are they going to, like, throw anything at me or shoot anything at me? Like, wait, 
Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think the people inside Jericho were thinking? What is going on? I mean, you know, a little bit earlier, it said after they crossed the Jordan that all the people in the territory were, were terrified. They were afraid. So I think like the first day, I'd see them coming and I'd be like, oh no, what's going on? They just walked around, okay. The second day they come and you're like, oh no, now it's coming for, okay, nothing this time either. What? These guys are fools. What were we afraid of? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm glad I didn't, uh, oh, I was not there to experience that. But it must have been quite the sight either way. So Joshua and the Israelites, flap was open. They followed what seemed like a crazy plan, at least in my mind. And they experienced, experienced victory through the power of God. The city was defeated and the Israelites were ordered to keep none of the spoil for themselves. Everything was supposed to be devoted to destruction. Now the next battle they had, because they're supposed to conquer you know, different territories in the promised land, the next battle did not go very well. They attacked a town called Ai. Should have been a lot, lot simpler than attacking Jericho. And um, they ended up running because they were getting defeated. Joshua cried out to the Lord. He's wondering what in the world is going on here. We're supposed to be defeating all these, all these nations. Uh, and the Lord spoke. So in Joshua 7, uh, 10 through 13, we'll find out what God says. So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. So, the reason that Israelites cannot conquer I? The flap was closed. They took some stuff they weren't supposed to. They were disobedient. They acted out in, in a very poor manner there. Now, God takes sin seriously. It's offensive to him. It hinders our fellowship with him. So what did God require to be done? I wish my hearing were better. That's one thing that students will find out too. <laughs> That's what? Death. Yes. This, these things need to be destroyed. And we'll, we'll find out very shortly exactly how that happened. Um, God called the offender out. And in verse, or yeah, verses 16 through 26, we'll see how Israel responded here after this goes down. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, 
Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achar. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will give you trouble this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. So, when did Achan own up to his actions? Only after, yeah, only after he was caught. So a bunch of people died in a battle because of what he did. All of Israel is told, hey, We're going to find out who did this tomorrow. Then they start going tribe by tribe, clan by clan. And each time Achan's in that group, he knows it's coming. But he waits until he's actually chosen, absolutely for sure. Um, Anybody else ever feel like that sometimes when you've done something wrong? Like, I don't want to fess up to it unless I absolutely have no other choice. That's That's the flesh, the sin nature there working. You know, Achan, he had witnessed the power of God firsthand. He had crossed the flooded Jordan River. He was one of the men of war who conquered Jericho, and he witnessed the walls fall down. And yet, he acted in disobedience to God's command and didn't want to own up to it. Uh, now, this way, of, this way of living leads to destruction and death. So God called it out, and an example was made of Achan and his family. Israel responded in obedience and completely destroyed the devoted things along with the offender and those who aided, with, aided him. So their flap was open. That had to be a hard flap, I'd imagine. Um, I don't know. Now we're nearing the end of this, this section of the story. Um, Joshua 8. We're going to read 1 and 2 and then uh, skip ahead to 24 through 29. If you want to read the in-between stuff at some other point in time, that'd be great. All right. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to A, I, however you pronounce it. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king, just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. And then if you jump ahead to 24. Um... So they're, they're carrying everything out. So now it came about when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness, where they pursued them, and all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. 
And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua gave command, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. So, first time Israelites attacked Ai, didn't go well. How do you think they felt the second time when they were preparing to go to battle? Is that tentative? Like, yeah. <laughs> didn't go so well the first time. What's going to happen now? All right. But in what ways did the Israelites show their trust and obedience in God here? They went after it anyway. Yes, they, they fought. And um, it also says that they, they only took what they were supposed to for themselves this time. Everyone. <laughs> there's, there's no one who, who acted out in unbelief there. Um, now, these are not always easy things to do. Uh, sin is always right there. Our, our flesh is always right there to, to try to draw us aside. We've got an enemy um, in John 10.10. 10, um, says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's what Satan, that's what, the, that's what he wants to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. To lead us in, into disobe- disobedience, acting in unbelief. Um, but Jesus said that he came to bring abundant life. And that only happens, we, we only experience that abundant life when the flap is open. Um, that's what Jesus, uh, that's part of what Jesus came for, the abundant life. Um, so, Satan wants to stop the flap to stay shut. Jesus wants it open um, so that we're not clinging to our sin. Now, uh, I like to have journals for my students because some people like to, to write things down and don't always like to share things out loud. So, next question here, what are some things that tend to give you flat, flat moments? Um, we, all have, we all have areas in our lives um, or, or things that we do, like when I don't get enough sleep, whether it's my own fault or not. I do have four kids, so sometimes it's not my fault. Uh, but, but sometimes it is. Um, I, I know when I don't get enough sleep, I tend to have more flat, flat moments. Um, there might be certain activities we do, certain people we're around. Um, what, are, what are certain situations you are in um, or, or things that happen that might cause you to have flat, flat moments? So if you had a journal with you, I'd have you take a little time to to write that down. Um, and I do tell students, if they don't want me to read through their journals, write that on there. <laughs> if you don't mind, then don't write that on there, and I'll, I'll probably skim through them every once in a while. Uh, and then the very last thing. Is, this is my daughter's ukulele. Um, I'm not great at playing the ukulele, but hopefully good enough. We'll, we'll find out. So, uh, this is a little scripture verse. (laughs) That, thank you, thank you. Uh, So, you know, God's word, Jeremy mentioned truth. Truth is very important. Um, When we we know the truth, when we believe the truth, that flap is, is very much more likely to stay open. And so, knowing scripture when you're going through certain circumstances can, can help um, help remind you of what is, what is true, what uh, God has said. And um, I'm not great at memorizing things, but if you put them to music, sometimes that is helpful. Uh, and I may make a mistake just at the very end because um, I'm switching from the ESV in my head to 
NASB, which are very similar, but the words are in a slightly different order. Um, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I think that's right. I'm transposing in my head too, so. This is harder than I thought it would be. (laughs) All right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not. Yeah, I can't do it. I'll get it eventually. Oh, it's the wrong chord. That's why. There we go. Okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, him, and he will make straight your paths. Oh, that's the wrong part. Make your path straight. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, a heart, a heart. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I get for not wanting to bring my guitar with me this morning. So, um, anyway, that is, that is good, uh, good scripture to uh, commit to memory, trusting in the Lord and uh, by getting to know his, his word better um, and, and what he has done, reminding yourself daily of, of how good is that um, that is all helpful in, in growing trust. So let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, first of all, I'm grateful for you that when we were in slavery to sin, you did not leave us alone, but you heard our cries and that you sent Jesus to rescue us from that sin. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, um, you know the struggles we have with sin, that there's, there's always that flesh versus spirit battle going within us. Lord, tune our hearts to you every day. Help us to trust you. Help us to keep our, our thoughts always upon you and your word. Give us a, a desire to, uh, to grow in you, to, to study your word. And um, Lord, help us to encourage one another too. Um, I don't know what life would have been like for Achan if uh, he had some people who um, w- would hold him accountable more often. But Lord, help us to, to hold each other accountable, to encourage one another every day, to look out for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, may you be glorified in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.